Welcome home, everyone. Thank you for joining in on this episode of Welcome Home with the Katinas. Welcome Home is a podcast where I, your host Josh, sit down for a conversation with different people who I admire and discuss whatever's on their mind, and especially focus on life at home in times like this. Wherever you are and however you're listening, thank you for your support, and once again, welcome home. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining in on this week's episode of Welcome Home with the Katinas. Uh, happy February to everyone out there listening. The year's flying by already. Um, I want to start off the show by thanking everyone who supports us, who supports the Katinas ministry, and remind you all that if you'd like to become a partner financially with the Katinas, the best way to do that is to visit thekatinas.com. You'll find a give button there. Click on that, and it'll take you where you need to go. All right, so today I have a returning guest, and I think this is probably the longest I've gone uh, between episodes from with the same guest. So I was just talking to him before the show, and it's been almost a year now since the last time he was uh, here in the studio. And um, if you listen to that episode, you know that today's guest is my best friend um, and someone who I've known for a long time. Someone who has seen me at my best and my worst, and I'm really thankful to have him here today in the studio with me. So I'd like to welcome Mr. Hank Curtis. Hank, thanks for being here, bro. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you having me. Of course, man. It's uh, it's been too long. Well, I guess too long since the last podcast. Yeah. I saw you. We were just talking about. It. I saw you before Christmas last. Yep. One of my favorite parts of, of our friendship is the fact that it doesn't seem like time. Uh, really matters we can go a week a, a month a year without seeing each other and we're when we're back together it's like uh it's like we never left so i'm glad Absolutely. to have you here man yeah man thank you i appreciate that yeah that's something i really appreciate about our friendship i think that man as time goes on and you grow up and you got different things going on it's like you know you forget to slow down and yeah. check in and see what everybody's doing but um yeah, it's a blessing to have that type of friendship with you. So I'm appreciative of that too. I've definitely noticed as I got as I've gotten older that like friendships are a hard thing to maintain. Um, like making new friends is really hard. Right. So uh, so just keeping the friends that I do have uh, sometimes it can feel like work, honestly. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it doesn't feel like that with you, bro. And absolutely. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, you have been on the show before, so you had your first time thing mm-hmm. when I asked you your three questions. Mm-hmm. Um, for returning guests, I don't ask three questions. Uh, I only ask one, and it's a question I've already asked you before, and um, it, it, this will lead our conversation, and uh, it's intentionally open-ended. So uh, answer it however you want to. But the question is this, what's going on at home? <laughs> yeah, I figured that was the question. <laughs> Um, since last time, so when we recorded, it was, I guess, a little bit before March of last year, yep. or right at the beginning. So I was sort of transitioning into, um, into a sort of a career path in golf. Mm. Um, so I kind of ended up in a weird situation where the, the gig I was doing was great. Um, you know, it was in construction and doing private home remodeling. Um, but but things were kind of shifting in that world too. And I was kind of looking around to see maybe if, if I wanted to look at something that um, would just go in a different direction and, and maybe especially bring me back to sports because obviously that's my background. Um, so I, I, I got a job working over at a golf course, kind of just helping out and being an extra hand, um, but with the thought that, that it was going to be uh, – a adventure that was going to look at a career, mm. not necessarily just come and help out. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were on the same page from the beginning, which was really cool. Um, I guess they had seen my background in athletics and known I had been around athletic administration at a pretty high level. Um, so they liked that a lot. And so we, we just sort of got into it, and I started helping out with some instruction um, in the youth clinics and, and stuff like that. And and now they've got me on a path to, to be a professional uh, teacher in wow. golf, um, which is really, really cool. Um, something I never would have thought when we recorded this podcast last time 
that would have ever happened. Um, so it's a cool experience so far. I'm sure it'll it'll be challenging. It's been really easy so far, and not in the sense that it's not a lot of work, because it, it surely is, um, but just that it's something fresh and something new. Um, but at the same time, it's something I'm familiar with. Like, I've been around golf for a while. Yeah. Uh, my brother played competitively, like, at an earlier age, uh, maybe than I did. Um, well, definitely than I did. But um, it was something that sort of, when I quit baseball and, and like, competitive sports that was organized – I shifted into golf, not only because everybody was doing it, but it kind of like scratched that itch, I guess you could say, that you have for the competitive stuff. Um, so it, I've always had it, I guess, um, but I've never been around it at, at a level that I am now. Um, so I have a lot to learn, and that's what's cool about it. And, and I had a similar sort of transition when I went into basketball at Kentucky, where it was like, I knew basketball, I was always around it. Mm -hmm. But then you start talking about like really the deep levels of it and and if you want to coach or be any type of teacher, you know, you have to understand um, the game at, at like the atomic level yeah. almost. You know what I yeah. mean? It's, it's, you got to be able to break it down all the way to its simplest form and then build somebody back up to sure. its most, most complex form. And golf is probably that way more than anything because uh, it's so mechanical with the swing and yeah. there's so many factors. So it's really cool. Well, let me, so I'm going to say something. It's going to sound like it has nothing to do with what you just no, said, but I'll, I promise I'll bring it back. Um, over the last few months, I've been really getting into playing chess. Yeah. Um, and are you, do you know, like when, when people talk about games, like, do you know what a skill gap is? Uh, I could probably use my context. Well, clues, so, but... well let me explain. Yeah, so like the skill gap, every, anything that's competitive or competition has a skill gap. So right. basically that means it's like the gap between the absolute beginner and, the best in the world at it, like complete experts and chess has one of the highest skill mm -hmm. gaps of anything, mm -hmm. any game, video game, board game, sport. Like it's, it's kind of scary how good you can get at chess. Right. And, um, I feel the same way about golf. Like I feel <laughs> yeah. like golf has a huge skill gap Absolutely. because, uh, I, <laughs> my, uh, my father-in-law, he's a golfer. Mm -hmm. He golfs a lot. And I think most people would probably say he's a good golfer. Right. Um, I'm not a golfer. Uh, I've been maybe twice in my whole life. And um, the two times that I've been, I've thought to myself, man, I can't have no idea what it takes to get good at this but i just know i don't have the time for it Absolutely. but i want to ask you like as someone who is around golf a lot now um like how big is this the skill gap in golf from like the absolute beginner to to the pros it's it's pretty major yeah um there's there's a few guys that have made a name for themselves in the youtube world in golf just like all other things at this point um, and there's a guy, Rick Shields, and he, and he broke down in one of his, his videos about, because he's a PGA professional, he's taught for years, um, but you watch one of his videos and he might shoot 85 at a really hard course and people are like, well, how's he a pro? And it's like, that's how hard golf is. Yeah. He might go out and shoot 71, which is one under par at most courses, or he might go shoot 85, which is 13 over par. And anybody that knows anything about golf, um, if you've ever watched a, a tournament on TV especially... You know, an 85 is, is really nowhere near what, what the scores are posted on TV. So um, the the skill gap is, is huge. I You know, I know I play with, and I'm not some I'm some great golfer, um, but but good enough to, to, to be in the position that I am. Um, and, you know, I, I play with a lot, a lot of amateurs. And the, big, the biggest thing is the rules of golf are, are very specific. Um, they're there for a reason. They're actually there to help you, but they're there for a reason. I'm going to uphold the integrity of the game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you got penalty areas and all that types of stuff and, and the actual specific rules. But we go out on a Saturday, you know, and, and I'm not playing for a score. Well, we might yeah. throw down two, you know, on the first tee mm -hmm. or, or whatever. So the first one goes out of bounds. Well, that's one in. you got to drop two for the penalty. You're hitting your third. Mm -hmm. If you're 230 yards away from the green, mm -hmm. you know, instead of you hit your second one, it's right in the middle of the fairway. you got right. 120 yards in. You might – birdie or par it's so a very unforgiving game. very unforgiving yeah. game um and so that's that's sort of what creates the skill gap another part about it is you play on different courses 
Mm. Um, so like in football, it's, you know, it's 120 by 54, whatever yeah. it is. It's the same field every time. Baseball, pretty much the same yeah. dimensions. Outfield fences are a little different, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, where like golf, you might play on a par 71, 6,800 yard course. Uh, and they might play in, in South Carolina somewhere one week. And then they go to, to New York and play Beth Page Black at 7,400 yards. The fairways are tighter than a runway and the, the rough is six inches long. Mm. And it may be 25 mile an hour winds in New York compared to South Carolina. It was a little breezy, but whatever. And, you know, the air's a little heavier. So, right. no All, game is the same. No game is the yeah. same, man. No day is the same. You know, you watch Tigers 2019 win at the Masters. Um, it rained, rained like crazy for the middle part of that tournament. Um, and it, it changed the way the tournament played, which mm-hmm. gave Tiger the advantage. Mm. I think if that course would have played, played longer. Um, it hadn't been as wet. I don't think he would have won. Yeah, I think Brooks Koepka would end up winning. So, it's it's factors like that that really end up completely separating. Once once you add in all the strokes and the gimmies and all that, guys are really shooting. You know, probably in the nineties, mm-hmm. which you know you're in the top something percent in the world. If you break eighty, you're like point five percent in the wow. world. That's how hard golf is. So it's Let, interesting. So I'm assuming you you keep up with pro golf at yeah. some level. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not an expert on it, but I do know that there's been some stuff going on in the world of pro golf mm-hmm. with uh, the PGA and some tour yeah, out of live. Saudi Arabia, yeah. I believe it is. Yep. Yeah. From what so here's my understanding of it is that basically it's for those who don't follow golf, it's like another league mm-hmm. has uh, that's backed by some really rich people, deep pockets has been. Um, signing pro players from the PGA, which is like pro golf that we all know. Right. Um, and so some of like the biggest names in mm-hmm. golf are no longer playing on the PGA tour. Is that correct? That's correct. They're playing with someone else. That's right. Yeah. So what does like the golf fan, the, the everyday golf fan think of that situation? You know, it's been kind of split, honestly. Like if you go on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and see the comments or or whatever. I think I think here's what happens is there's a certain people like in the regular kind of world, like a lot of these golfers have millions and millions of dollars, right? We can't really relate to them. Mm-hmm. Um, um that are like, well, you know, they're they've already got all this money, blah, blah, blah. Why do they need more? Because that's the big pull on Live was it's called Live, L I V. Uh-huh. It's the Roman numerals for fifty four. It's a fifty four hole tournament instead of okay. seventy two. That's sort of what it stands for. Okay. Um did not know that. But yeah, <laughs> but they're offering up million, like crazy money. Like, you know, they're giving Dustin Johnson like a hundred million dollars up front and then another fifty million that he can play, you know, incentivize that if wow. he plays a certain amount of tournaments, he automatically gets forget about the winnings of the tournament, mm-hmm. right? And so you know, the money is what have has has got those guys to go over there. Right. Um, the spirit of the game is not the same at all. Um, mm. They're basically playing exhibition matches. You know, they're playing fifty-four okay. holes, and maybe that's just my opinion. I, I don't feel like that's an opinion. Tournaments of, as long as we can remember, have always been seventy-two holes mm. played on on four days of the week, uh, weather permitting, and and you know the best of the best win. Um, so it's been tough to kind of see the best players split up over it. Yeah. Um, and the easy argument was that hey, this is Saudi-backed money. The things that they do and that they've done um, are just disgraceful, and I think we would all agree with that um, from a moral and ethical standpoint. Mm. Um, but I'm I'm not sure how many people that are arguing against it actually care about that. I think that they're upset that <laughs> they're going to get 150 million dollars yeah. and that they don't have 150 yeah. million dollars. And I get that, you know, I've, as kind of a normal human being, citizen, mm. you know, I get that. Well, um, so it's funny you bring that up because. Not to go too in, too deep into like geopolitics, right. but I agree with you. Saudi Arabia's regime has done some inhumane things. But what's sad is it's hard to criticize them when America is who's bankrolling them. Absolutely. And so I don't know. I just yeah. throw that up out there. And like, Absolutely. Because I, I, it, it's always interesting to me when like real world stuff comes into sports mm-hmm. like that's why i love the the world cup um for sure of soccer or football if you're not from america but because like sometimes 
like real world, the dynamics between different countries actually can manifest on the field. And so it Absolutely. sounds like that's sort of happening in, in golf right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it, and it happens in sports a lot, like you said. Um, but it, the reason I even brought that, that part up was, was the fact that I, I simply think it's sort of an easy excuse for people to dismiss. Uh, I don't, I really don't think a lot of people that are making that claim actually care. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that happens a lot. People don't actually care what they're kind of screaming about. Um, but I think it's especially happening in in this way, and it happens in every sport. Like I'm a big hockey fan, and yeah. and you know, there's been some stuff that went down with like the New York Rangers, and uh-huh. and, and you know, they're supposed to be rep- representing a Pride Night and all this yeah. stuff, and you know, and there's there's a player that you know he he's he where he comes from, he, he didn't, didn't wear like the wear jersey, patch and, or something exactly, yeah. and and this and that, and like he has this genuine like belief from his culture. And you have to sit back and think, okay, where does that where does that mesh mm-hmm. um, with what you know we think is or isn't? And that's you know that's a hard yeah. line to sort of to sort of um, toe, I guess. Um, but you know, to, I guess we don't have the answer. You just want to try to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. And to me, it's like whenever issues outside of sports arise in sports, to me the it's really simple. Like if you don't want to support it, just don't watch. Right. I don't know what Very else simple. to say. Yeah. Like, and maybe that sounds harsh or whatever. No. I, I just think like if you, re- if it really matters to you, that's great. You should just not watch. Yeah. But if you're going to be vocal about how much you don't like this, but then you're still supporting the sport, the game, then to me, that tells me one of the things that you're saying you don't actually care about. Exactly. You either don't care about the issue that much or it, or I don't know. You're just not – just don't watch if you don't want to, if you don't I, want to support. I completely agree. And, yeah. You know, what? I guess that's just our opinion and I guess we're all living in sort of the, the court of public opinion. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I completely agree. I think some of it gets really, really silly and you sort of miss the point and that's – pretty unfortunate yeah yeah well i'll move away from the the, the, that i do want to ask you about something that um i know well i don't know how long this has been a part of your life but i feel like i've seen it more and more lately is your um passion for music Mm -hmm. the other day my wife sent me uh your instagram story and said she said oh my gosh (laughs) and it was a story of uh a local concert that was happening mm-hmm. or live music that was yeah. happening and your name was on it as one of the performers <laughs> which i have to say i never thought i'd see that me either but i want to ask you man what has been going on with you and music yeah um i guess just to go ahead and explain it from the beginning so when i got to when i got to college you know we talked about this last time sort of just i guess missing like an identity that, you know, we kind of always are at 18 or, or whatever. Um, but just, I just didn't know what I want. And, and fortunately my, the guy that lived next to me in the dorm had a little guitar that his, his dad had had for years. And he knew a few chords and a few songs, a few kind of like country licks, stuff like that. Just kind of basic stuff mm-hmm. that anybody that's ever picked up a guitar knows. And and so I'd sit there and I would try to learn and I loved music and I was I was progressing into um liking music that maybe isn't on the radio, mm-hmm. you know, and like it's maybe a little deeper than kind of surface level, which I think there's a place for all of it. Sure. So I'm not here to to to, to really go one way or the other on that, but um it, uh, that was sort of happening at the same time. So I wanted to learn those songs too. Um but I couldn't make the chords. Mm. And so I kept trying and trying, and and I got messed up fingers just because it's all they've always been like that, and and so I'm trying and trying, and I'm finally learning a few chords, and and I really like the the simple melodies that that is like real country music and kind of folk music and Americana, um, and again this is all sort of happening at the same time. So when I was 19, I guess I was on Thanksgiving break, uh, sophomore year of college, and. I, you know, I maybe had four or 500 bucks, but I went to Guitar Center and I was like, you know, I could spend, I told the guys, like, I think I could spend like 200, <laughs> which is hilarious thinking about yeah. now. Like if you have 500, you can spend zero. 
Um, but for some reason, I told him I could spend two hundred, and and uh, he pointed me to this this Yamaha acoustic guitar, which I still have in my room right now. Um, really, ex- actually, a beautiful example of just a simple real wood guitar. Um, I didn't know this at the time, but I bought it, and probably best purchase I've ever made. Mm. And uh, I just started learning songs that I really liked. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily about learning how to play the guitar or anything like that. I just wanted to, to continue to connect to the music um, even deeper than just the lyrics, even though I am a lyrics guy first. Um, so that just sort of continued, and and I was learning like you know really you know like Luke Combs or or Jason Aldean stuff or mm-hmm. stuff like that. Which again, there's there's nothing wrong with that, but you know it's just like simple melodies and catchy yeah. stuff. And it just kept progressing and progressing, and, and and you know this was sort of coinciding with a little bit of that battle I was having with my relationship with alcohol and mm. and, and and smoking pot and all that stuff, and and being like really an undisciplined college student, mm. but also finding this sort of avenue to kind of deal with things that I never dealt with before. I think mm. that's probably what it yeah. mainly was about, um, and that sort of turned into writing at some point or another. Um, and this was after college when I actually finished my first song, um, but I just kept doing it and, and kept doing it and kept doing it. Yeah. And none of the songs were really great, and I'd have these verses or this melody, and then just nothing would come together. But I'd keep playing and mm. keep playing, and eventually, my brother, obviously, he picked up the guitar too. We kind of do everything that each other does. And so he started writing and like really pumped out some good songs. Um, so he met uh, a couple people out when he was in the beer selling business, mm-hmm. a couple bartenders that run songwriters rounds out in Nashville. And uh, there's a spot up in Green Hills called Joe's Place that, that runs like a really kind of low-key, low-pressure songwriters round. Um, that like a lot of good folks come out and play, but the, you know, there's not a lot of pressure to be an artist. People just want to hear the song, right? And I'm not much of a singer or, or like too terribly good of a player, but I know I can write a decent song. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just was hanging around watching Hudson do it wow. pretty much, my brother. Um, and you know, he would start to tell them that you know, you know, Hank can write a little bit and he's got a couple songs. Um, you know, so if anybody doesn't show up, like you got to try to make him get up there. And that happened one time, and I didn't do it. I was just huh. like, there's just no way that I'm doing that right now. And I had a few songs I could have played. Um, so like a month went by, and they do it every two weeks. So I'd been back again. Everybody showed up, so I'm just watching. And lo and behold, it, it happens again, you know, like a month after the first time. And he Hudson, Hudson played the 9 o'clock slot. There's like an 8, 9, and 10. And somebody didn't show up for the 10 o'clock, which happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And... uh I'm over there noodling on his guitar after he got done. We're just talking to all of our friends. And uh, she comes over and she's like, she's like, I'm going to need you to get up. Like, nobody has that chair. And I was like, oh, man, you know what? I'll do it. <laughs> nice. I'll do it. So I did it and kind of broke the seal on that. And, you know, they liked the songs. Um, and they just asked me back. So I've done it a couple of times since. And I'm going to be doing it Tuesday. That's awesome, man. Um, sort of creating a a vibe with these people in a relationship and, and you know it's like I don't know I don't know if it's a dream or a, I don't know if it's anything like that it's just something that I do yeah um and and I don't work particularly hard at it which gives me sort of a it makes me feel kind of weird because I understand um what it takes to write a good song mm-hmm. I'm having studied music for the last few years and and studied some of the all-time great songwriters, whether it's people, you know, people that we all know, Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. um, anybody from Grateful Dead, or you know, anybody like that, or whether it's people that, that you don't really know, like Towns Van Zant, Guy Clark, like these Texas troubadours. The way they write songs is completely different, mm-hmm. like what you hear on the radio. Um, they're not all great singers or decent guitar players, simple melodies, but what they're talking about is like the American story. Mm. Um, it's it's only stuff that they've experienced or they've watched happen yeah. pretty much. And, and when I say watched happen, that's either in real life or in their head, mm. um, something that, that was made up in their head. So it's just fascinating. Um, but, but I do sort of, I don't want to act like it's something I completely own because I understand how sacred a lot of it, it can be. Yeah. Um, and I have my own sacred place for it too. And, yeah. and, and I, you know, I hold those things kind of dear to my heart. And I don't share a song until... I feel like it's probably done, hmm. um, and I'm saying what I want to say. Yeah. And outside of that, I really don't care about the the rest of it. Well, dude, that's 
that's cool to hear the journey that you've been on. I feel bad that I didn't realize uh, how, how much of a part of your life this has been. <laughs> no, but, you're good. So let me ask you some questions about yeah. songwriting. Yeah. Um, songwriting to me is very interesting because, you know, there can be like, you know, this is the formula for a hit country song or whatever. Mm-hmm. or yep. um but there's not really, at least in my opinion, there's not like a right or wrong way to actually write a song. Exactly. And I think everyone kind of has their own uh, way of doing it. So one question I like to ask songwriters is, what comes first for you? Is it the melody or the lyrics? Yeah, it it's differs. Oh. Um, so, and sometimes, sometimes they sort of happen simultaneously, but not together. And I got a great example of that. The... Um, there was a song, there was a melody that I'd come up with that was, I don't know where it came with, but it's a, it's a picking progression melody. It's super folky. Um, and I'd been messing around with it in different keys and stuff like that and no idea what it was going to be. And I got a ton of songs or verses or ideas in my phone or, or in a, you know, a notebook somewhere that, you know, there's a bunch of them, probably like 80 to 90, something like that. Um, and so I'd just go back and look through them and just nothing was fitting it, which is okay. That's totally fine. But I was uh, I was having a text conversation with my brother, and and sometimes you know when you're having a real conversation, you say something or or that person says something that's super profound, mm. um, and you know that there's something like way deeper to what they just said, and we were talking about this certain idea, I guess about just um, like just despair in general. And like what that looks like and, and you know because it's it sort of like relates to loneliness or like aloneness and i always thought those two things were interesting because they're different um you know like loneliness is like you know like sort of like your like maybe your issue or like mm. your state and like aloneness is like the state of being mm-hmm. like what you're sitting in and what's around you um and like it was maybe sort of the connection of that and and like how that hangs over you so we're just talking about like the blanket of despair and like and we just started texting and i wrote the song in the text conversation i was like i was like this Mm. this 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 and hudson was like yeah and then like i kept going yeah and so i just started playing the melody and i wrote it down and then the song was done in like 15 minutes so like that happens Mm -hmm. um and then then like the writing will happen first Mm -hmm. um to where i'll just go through the lyrics and i have no melody at all a somewhat of a verse structure, um, somewhat of a of like a full song structure, you know, maybe two, three verses, you know, a couple choruses, maybe a bridge, whatever, um, but absolutely nothing else to it, no melody, nothing, and then I'll go from there. So like probably the song that I've done that, that I would consider is my best song um, was, was like that. All the lyrics came out first, and then the melody came out after. Hmm. Um, so it just depends, and I always kind of look out for... You got to be observant, and I'm not sure that that my mind has always worked that way um, as as it pertains to writing, maybe whether it's a song or not. Um, but I I have always kind of picked up on maybe the way people are or the things that they do, yeah. Um, and and the consistencies of that throughout human nature and, mm. and everybody that I ever come across, and I think that can really inform you about the world, yeah. And and maybe how you see it, and and then how you portray it and how yeah. you project that back out and i think that kind of happens in, in music yeah music is such a mysterious thing uh it's it's weird how there's something about like it's one of the few like things that pe- i feel like people experience universally mm-hmm. like when you hear a sad song you know it's a sad song yeah. and when you hear a love song you can tell it's a love song or whatever i don't know what that is no one teaches you that you just kind of know Uh, this is funny so i've been um one of my new year's resolutions was to read through the bible in a year this year and i'm still doing it which is i've had that goal many times Mm -hmm. and never done it yeah but i'm still doing it it's the furthest i've ever made it and so obviously i started in genesis right and if you've ever read through genesis you know like a lot of it is um like documenting genealogies and stuff mm-hmm. of like bob was the father of john and john right. was the uh, all that stuff and there's this one part that can become very boring to read but sure, <laughs> there's sure. this one that i read and i don't remember their names and i don't remember 
who they were in the grand scheme of things, but uh, there was this, they were talking about, Genesis is talking about these three brothers. Um, and one of the brothers, it says, was the father of everyone who works in the fields and like grows plants and farms animals or whatever. The other, another, the second brother was the father of everyone who works with metal and iron and, and all that stuff. Two very important things and like core to what society and civilization are. And then the third brother was the father of everyone who made songs. And Mm. I think he played the flute or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I just found, it struck me as interesting that like agriculture, industry, and then music were the three things that got mentioned. Right. And, but when I think about it more, it's like, well, I feel like music and I guess art in general, but music specifically is just like such a core part of the human experience. Right. And, um, I don't know. That's one thing. That it's so mysterious to me why I, I don't understand why it's that way. Because yeah. there's not really any intrinsic value to a song. It's right. just... And so, like, some people might like a song that other people hate. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. uh, it's mysterious. And it's something that's, uh, in my own life, has been um, something that I've... It's it's like addicting to me mm. to like try and figure out mm. what is this music thing and what is this song that I just wrote like where did mm. that come from mm-hmm. like yesterday this song didn't exist and now yep. it exists I don't know yeah that's <laughs> I'm like smiling ear to ear as you explain all that because that's what I love about it mm. um, it's 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 the magic it's the mystery it's sort of the open endedness um, you know it's super subjective. Um, I guess it, it depends on who's listening, what's happening, what they're talking about. Um, we relate to it all different, but there's something about the the ones that draw us all in. That we, you know, Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, mm-hmm. like those. You know, it's like amazing. It's it's a universal language, I guess. Yeah. Um, Do you listen to uh, Colin Coward, the sports? I I I've, okay. I don't listen to him religiously. Obviously, uh, I know who he is. I've I know the things. I love Colin Coward, <laughs> and he he's he has this thing that he talks about. There's two great unifiers in life, sports and music. Hundred percent. And he said, when you're when you go to like a sports game, everyone there is experiencing the same thing, yeah. and it's the same same sort of phenomenon at a concert. Absolutely. Like everyone's just engaged into the same thing, yeah. and they're feeling these emotions. Yeah, the same as as a crazy football game or basketball game absolutely on i mean on that note most definitely when i go to a show um but sometimes when i go to a sporting event either even there's never a show that i go to that i don't cry Mm. and sometimes there's never a sporting event that i go to that i don't (laughs) cry because there's like this certain level of um like understanding of what's going on in in like a way bigger way that i realized that we're all having that experience and i obviously never felt that until until I was uh, had gotten older and stuff. Like when I went to a, a Kentucky football game when I was ten or whatever, I don't think I had that experience. Mm-hmm. I was just having fun. But that same ten year old kid that's in the crowd now when I'm at a game, or you know, a, a younger guy that, that may be like eight, seventeen, eighteen, he's at a show that I'm at. You, you know, I, I can sort of I can relate to where he was at, the yeah. guy before, where I'm at now. And sort of even relate to the person that's down the road because hmm. um, we're all experiencing the same thing and just the magic in that and you know the, the unexpected of the situation there is no outcome that's already prepared yeah um, for whatever's going on even though at a show you know what song you know the songs are the songs they've right. already written them or whatever but something different happens every time sure. you experience you hear something different like it's amazing so but I'm glad Colin Colin Callard said that because yeah. it's so true. Yeah. Like we, it's two things we all understand at some level. I know you told me before we started recording <clears throat> that uh, you do not listen to a lot of podcasts currently. Right. But if you ever have time, there's this one episode of the Joe Rogan podcast mm. with, um, is it was maybe a few months ago, but his guest was Rick Rubin. Yeah. Oh yeah. I um, love Rick Rubin. You should watch it. He, ta- he just has like such a wealth of like stories and from his experience of like being around some of the best songwriters and musicians ever. 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 Yeah. And I think you would really enjoy it because what I love about Rick Rubin is that, 
for those of you who don't know, he's like one of the the giants of the music production world, like one of the greatest music producers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the interesting thing about him is he doesn't play any instruments. Nope. He doesn't know how to operate like a soundboard or like studio equipment that you see. He doesn't know any of that. Yep. But somehow he has been a part of some of the greatest like albums and songs of all time. And I don't know. He has a really interesting perspective on it. Yeah. He says, I'm going to steal one of his stories because he tells us one story about him and Rogan are talking about how there's different people have different ways of writing um, songs. Mm. And they were specifically talking about rap music in this one segment. And he talked about how, Rick Rubin talked about how Eminem, like, it's like every piece of paper around him is covered in lyrics. Yep. Like, he's just always writing, always, always writing all day long. And Eminem says that 99.9% of it he'll never use. Yep. But every once in a while, he writes something that's like, oh, this might be good. Right. And so that's Eminem's way of writing. And then he talked about Jay-Z who doesn't write at all. Nothing. And I, I, I almost don't even want to say it because I want you to listen to how he's, he explains it, but there's like this weird ritual that Jay-Z has in the studio of how he like comes up with his well, lyrics. I, I got a confession real quick. Yeah. I have listened to that one. So oh, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed well, with Rick Rubin. Go. There you go. Well, way to the US. He, he just talked. So Jay-Z basically will just sit and listen to a beat or whatever mm-hmm. And just kind of mumble and keep mumbling until all of a sudden words start coming out. I don't know. It's a very strange creative process. I love it. But both of those guys, Eminem and Jay-Z, are some of the greatest lyricists ever. And they are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to how they write their their music. Yeah, that's a, it's amazing. And I've really sort of started to dive into Rick a little bit more too. Um, just like you said, his 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 perspective is wild. Because it's not like, you know, because when he started at NYU and LL Cool J sends over his mixtape to the dorm and, you know, he had done the, um, uh, who was it? T- uh, T-Rock or, or something like that. He had done that record and whatever. He puts it out and he's got like the Jeff Jam logo on it. Yeah. And like Def Jam doesn't even really exist. But, <laughs> but like... At that point, you know, he'd been through like 20 years of life or 21 years of life. Like, how many things that interesting could have really happened? Um, and so, and maybe a bunch, you know, who knows? I, I don't know enough about his childhood or whatever, but you just think about somebody's brain and like, how does it end up like that? Yeah. And especially when you think about the fact that he can't take an instrument and portray what you're talking about, right. what you're trying to get across or or even change the sound of something. Mm-hmm. It's He's all about the energy and where it's coming from, the force of it, um, the love behind it, all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, he produces one of my favorite groups, the Avid Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a very similar uh, type thing to where he's super hands-off, he's super less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he wants to capture just the essence of the song. Mm-hmm. And I even heard Neil Young talking about that with mm-hmm. some of the stuff that they did. Uh, back in back with Crosby, Stills and Nash, but it, it, it's amazing when you think about somebody's brain. It's like, okay, do I have to be born that way, or or is this sort of an environmental thing, an experience mm-hmm. thing, to where I'm I'm sort of building this um, this sort of box, I guess, in my brain that has a bunch of stuff in yeah. it, and probably both, maybe to yeah. some to some extent. But some people are born with with this this tick, or, or you know, this this arrow pointing a certain direction, sure. and and that may have been him, but let me tell you what, he took advantage of it. Um, yeah. You know, he's made the most of it. And we've all been better for it because we get to experience the final products. You know, you watch when they did 99 Problems. Mm. Like, just the process is like, you yeah. know, your mind just blows. And he's yeah. sitting there doing the humming thing. And he's like, yeah. you know, I might turn around and Rick's in, you know, you know, Jay-Z's in the, in, in the booth and, and Rick's behind the board and they're all talking and you know he's in there doing his mumbles and all that yeah. stuff and he's like he might do it for 10 minutes we're just talking and he's like all right i'm ready rick yeah and he just runs it and then there they go and it's like you know they do that well then you got avert brothers who's like a six-piece band and they're like they gotta have all six instruments going at the same time mm-hmm. perfect harmonies perfect whatever and they rip it live and it's like they're doing the same exact thing yeah 
but completely different. Yeah. Wild, but really fascinating. Yeah. It's interesting you bring up like, our, our, like specific, uh, just thinking about Jay-Z, like, was he born like that mm. or was there something in his youth that helped him develop that mm. or whatever? And I've been reading this book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And the book is about basically what what goes into making a successful person, what goes into making an outlier. I would consider Jay-Z an outlier. 100%. And I just got finished reading this part about um, IQ, mm. um, which your IQ is essentially you're born with that. It's almost all genetic. Your IQ you can improve it slightly but not that much it can go down not but not that much like yeah. you're you get what you get when it comes to sure. your um your IQ score but he there was this study done that the author writes about um i don't know how long ago it was it must have been a long time because basically what this guy did was he identified the top 1% of the 1% of kindergartners in the state of California when it comes to IQ. Mm. And he basically studied that it was like, maybe there was like a thousand kids that right. he was studying for their whole adolescence, their childhood into adulthood. And so these are kids with the highest IQs. What a lot of them would, would say these kids were geniuses. And what's funny is that, when the study was over, I don't know how long it was, maybe 30 years, he didn't find that kid, the kids with the high IQ did any better than their peers in like when it comes to how much money they made or uh, if they had healthy marriages or lived healthy lives. The IQ really wasn't, there was no correlation. What the biggest uh, factor was, on whether or not a kid with a high IQ or a kid with a normal or lower IQ uh, lived what he would call a successful life was, was actually their family mm. um, and the environment that they grew up in. Yeah. And so I say all that to say this book is really showing me how important your environment is. Absolutely. And not just, obviously your childhood environment is very important and Unfortunately, that's really out of everyone's control. You don't get to pick Completely. where you're born or who your parents are. Um, but it goes into your adulthood. Your environment that you create for yourself as an adult uh, can greatly influence uh, uh, how successful or unsuccessful or happy or unhappy you are. And I don't know. I'm curious, what was Jay-Z's environment like that, yeah. that allowed him to be so... I feel like he, there's a yeah. there's a certain um, element of confidence that you have to have to be able to just like just be mumbling gibberish in front of people. Completely. And I like I'm sure the first time he did that in front of someone, people probably thought he's a crazy person. Of course. Yeah. But he must have had something in his life that gave him the confidence to be like, "Who cares?" Or this is just how I do things. Absolutely. Yeah, like for some reason, it's important important enough to to get to where he's going regardless of what the other factors are and mm -hmm. a lot of the times the main factors in what we're doing is unfortunately what other people think hmm. and like obviously I you know I still struggle with that like big time like mm -hmm. I get so nervous when I get to go out there to play a song it's like well, number one it's already done yeah like like the song's there you're sitting here you're playing the song like it really doesn't matter in the end, mm. I guess, what they think. It, yeah. it really doesn't. You know, if you're trying to be like commercially successful and have people pick up your songs or get a publishing deal like in like a very literal way, it doesn't matter what they think. But yeah. you know, you know, when you just talk about the psychology of, of the human, it, it really just it doesn't matter. But we're so so convinced that it does. You know, the, the sooner you can get disconnected from that, and like I learned a lot of, about this being around recovery and stuff, not the better chance you have of of, of sort of going the direction that you need to know need to go. And, and I think there's probably a direction that's that's been picked for all of us mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form, whatever you believe in. Um, you know, there's 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 something like bigger than you. We know that for sure because there's a bunch of us 
And um, there's there's a lot of things that we involve ourselves in, even the people that act like they don't believe in anything. That involves more people than them, and it takes the the people around them to to get to where they're going too. Yeah. So we all believe in something bigger than right. ourselves. Um, in some way, it's it's just I guess do you give yourself to it? And, yeah. And and what comes from it? Yeah. So, so last week I had my uncle Jesse as the yeah. guest, and so um, my uncle Jesse's been on stage since he was ten years old. Literally, yeah. Um, and I was talking to him actually about like, do you still get nervous for shows or whatever? Well, the reason that came up is because his daughter Mira J actually went on the Christmas tour with mm. them and sang with them, and That's so awesome. I was asking him like what kind of advice did you give to Mira about, you know, nerves and stage fright or whatever? And I asked him, do you still get nervous? And he said, not very often anymore. And, but a word of advice that he gave Mira J, his daughter was to try and enjoy those nerves Mm. because if you can accept them, they can work in your favor. Right. And, Try and enjoy them while they're still here, because one day they're going to go away yeah. if you do this long enough. Yeah. And I thought that was really That's profound. Really is that yeah. he, someone who's I'm sure maybe when he was ten he got nervous, but now he's almost fifty, doesn't really get nervous anymore. Sure. Not, not very often, uh, and amazing. he misses that. He misses that, and so it's incredible. Um, it's it's really hard to do and it way is. easier said than done. But try and enjoy those nerves, man, and. It, and let them work for you. That's a great point, and it's all about perspective. Like, you know, that, that's, I've learned learned that as much as anything. I, I feel like the last last few years, maybe not practice it the best, but man, just the way that you're that you choose um, to live and to see things really impacts the way you act and the way you mm-hmm. do. And that, that sounds really simple, but it can get away from you quick. You know, the longer you're negative or um, the more you harp on things or, or whatever. And like, I'm a big grudge holder, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, I told my dad you know, that it was sort of a joke, but not really. And I was like, I'm still mad about, you know, Kentucky losing Tennessee in 2006 <laughs> in six overtimes. Like it was a joke, but like, you know, I probably am still mad about something from 2006. Yeah. That's yeah. way more important than, yeah. you know, it, it was, but you know, all that, all that to say, it, you know, if you, if you continue to choose to have a different perspective, that sort of stuff, I guess, will kind of sort of whittle down and kind of maybe not go away forever, but lose its power over you. Um, and that's 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 where all the nerves are coming from, I think, is is from all those things at once. And it feels a lot like when I was pitching. Like when I played baseball, if I was playing first and, and hit it like a regular day in the lineup, it was like I was excited to play, but mm-hmm. it was just a game. Right. And then, but when you're pitching, you're the one right in the middle. The ball's right. on your hand. You control the tempo of the game. Everyone's looking Nothing at happens you. until you throw the baseball. Yeah. That's how baseball works. Um, and the same thing, nothing happens until you pick the first note yeah. um, or, or sing the first word. So um, it's that same type of anxiety, but I haven't been able to garner that perspective, um, you know, because when I had that, that juice when I was on the mound, it was like, it was like being high. It was mm. it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and it's the same feeling. Yeah. Um, but I'm not treating it the same. Yeah. I'm not using it the same way. And um, I'm glad you said that because that's something I'll hopefully be able to to kind of put into practice. And, right now, I mean, you know, as I go on, and you just see what happens. Yeah. You have no really no yeah. real expectation for it. Just, for sure. I just love doing it. Well, I'd definitely like to come out and watch you. Do it, man. Yeah. Soon. I'll have to. I I I. I, I like just really, really fear singing in front of a casino. Yeah. <laughs> no, dude. You know, it's like no. literally cannot even imagine. But no. you get—I mean, you love music. You get the point of it yeah. all. So it, it really doesn't matter. Um, it's just that's funny, but that kind of goes back to just what we were just saying. Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter. You guys, you guys really appreciate music for what it is, mm-hmm. no matter what style or or, or whatever. How how yeah. maybe quality the singing is <laughs> i'm sure it's gonna be great bro. Yeah, well it'll be a good time um i'll finish with this there is a uh, a quote i don't know who said it originally but my dad says it a lot and so i'm gonna attribute it to my dad and the quote is this show me your friends and i'll show you your future um and if that quote is true i feel like my future's bright bro because i have mm. a good friend in you so i appreciate that. i'm glad you're here man um 
maybe next year around this time we'll do it again absolutely yeah right. well i want to echo the same thing like you know the more i, I keep people like you around um I got a better chance for sure, and I've proven it both ways. I've, I've been, I've hung around people that that steer me in the wrong direction. I've made those choices, but uh, when I keep the better people around, it, I'm more positive, and, and the light is on, and I'm going in the right direction. That's a pretty cool place to be. So I appreciate you, bro. Of course, man. To those of you listening, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with more episodes soon. Have a great day. Oh,